My name's Matt. Um, I'm a, a ministry apprentice at the University of Queensland. I work there with evangelical students. I want you to cast your minds back a few months before we were in 1 Thessalonians, before we looked at Daniel, when we were looking at John's account of Jesus' life and John's gospel. Uh, we only went up to chapter 4. We're going to jump ahead a little bit today to chapter 6. Uh, so cast your mind back to John's gospel, and we're going to be continuing uh, in chapter 6 here. Uh, so as we get started, I want to ask you a question. What do you look for in a leader? Now, when I was in primary school, it was really simple. Uh, only one thing mattered. Are you good at soccer? Uh, that's how we chose team captains on the playground. That's who we wanted to sit next to in class. If you could control a soccer ball and kick with accuracy, then your opinion mattered and everyone wanted to be your friend. Uh, looking for a, a leader was really simple as kids in primary school. Uh, but what about for us grown-ups? Uh, a few months ago, we had our federal election here in Australia. Uh, one of the questions being asked of the country was, who would be our leader? What kind of person do Australians look for in a leader? Uh, well, according to Vote Compass, the polling research done by the ABC, uh, the two key things to measure uh, about the leaders were trustworthiness and competence. Uh, and they got people to rank the party leaders on a scale of 1 to 10 uh, on those things. Uh, now, interestingly, even the winner of the, le- uh, the the leader of the winning party, Albanese, only scored an, an average of 5.1 on that 10-point scale. Uh, so maybe that says something about Australians and our cynicism when it comes to our leaders. Uh, but in our Bible passage today, we find a group of people looking for a leader, and they want Jesus to fill that role. Uh, they've got their views of what a leader should be and what kind of leader they need, And they want Jesus to meet their expectations. But as we'll see in the passage, uh, Jesus sees things differently. Uh, So we'll work our way through in three parts today. Uh, First, we'll walk through the story and unpack what happens. Uh, Then we'll look more closely at these two things. Uh, What kind of leader is the crowd looking to Jesus to be? And what kind of leader does Jesus show himself to be? And as we think through the passage today, I want you to be asking yourself how you see Jesus and what expectations do you have of what kind of leader he should be. Uh, So let's begin at verse 1. After this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. A huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. Jesus went up a mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Uh, So we can see right away that as a leader, Jesus is attracting followers. There's a huge crowd following him. They've seen his miraculous healings, uh, and that's what brings them along. Uh, John has recorded a couple of these stories for us. Uh, So back uh, in chapter 4, Jesus heals a royal official's son from far away. And in the the chapter just before this, chapter 5, Jesus heals a man who couldn't walk. Uh, At Jesus' word, he he picked up his mat and he walked home, having never walked uh, since he was a child. Uh, So the people have seen these miraculous signs uh, and they've followed Jesus here. So when Jesus sees the crowd, he asks one of his disciples a tricky question. Uh, In verse 5, he asked Philip, where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? Uh, And John, the writer, is quick to add that this isn't a case of Jesus being at a loss for what to do. Uh, He writes in verse 6, he himself knew what he was going to do. 
So what follows is all according to plan for Jesus. And here, Jesus draws attention to the situation ahead of time so that his disciples will see what it is that he wants to show them. And the disciples quickly see and articulate the problem that Jesus is pointing out. There's a lot of people and not much food. Uh, And it's not even close. There's five small loaves of bread, a bit of fish to have with it. And there's 5,000 men plus women and children. Uh, So the total number of people could easily be more than twice that 5,000 number. Um, To put that into context, if uh, if you're a tennis fan, uh, that's about the number of people in the Rod Laver Arena at the Australian Open. Uh, Or maybe to bring it locally, that's roughly the total population of Dutton Park and Fairfield and Woolloongabba all added together. That's the sort of crowd we're talking about. So imagine that huge crowd... They're coming toward you, and your friend says to you, well, they look a bit hungry, and you've got your lunchbox there, and you say, well, I've got a tuna sandwich. Uh, That's kind of the level that we're talking about. It's a laughably small amount of food, and in the face of such a big crowd, it's obvious to Andrew, it's obvious to Philip, it's obvious to everyone that providing food for the crowd is so far outside their ability to achieve that it's just not an option. And yet... Jesus is firmly in control. In verse 10, he instructs the people, uh, instructs the disciples to have the people sit down on the grass. And in verse 11, he gives thanks to God for the food that he's been given. And then he starts distributing. And as the food is passed around, for each person, there's always enough to give. And the food keeps going out, and there's more, and there's more, and everyone gets enough. And they all eat. Not just the the small bite of food that Philip said they might get for 200 denarii, it's more than six months' wages, but plenty for everyone, as much as they want, with lots of leftovers. In verse 13, the disciples collect what wasn't eaten, and from those five barley loaves and two fish, there are now 12 basketfuls of pieces beyond what the appetites of thousands could want. So what was clearly beyond the realm of possibility has now been visibly demonstrated in front of thousands of witnesses. Food for thousands from one small meal. Uh, Of all Jesus' uh, miracles, uh, this is the most public. uh, And apart from his resurrection, it's the only miracle that's recorded in all four gospel accounts. Uh, Clearly, this left a major impression on all those who saw it. Uh, So if the people had any doubts before, they're certain now, not only can Jesus heal the sick, he can provide bread in abundance out of a kid's lunchbox. It's a public demonstration of divine power and authority, and the people are convinced they know who Jesus is. Uh, In verse 14, we read, when the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this truly is the prophet who is to come into the world. Uh, This is another reference to the prophet that Moses promised the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 18. Uh, We heard um, in chapter 1, the Pharisees asked if John the Baptist was that prophet. So in Deuteronomy 18, we read, uh, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. You must listen to him. Uh, So now the crowd are here. They've seen the miracle, and they're convinced that Jesus is this long-awaited Moses-like prophet. They think they've found the leader 
that they're looking for. And so, armed with this conviction, having seen his miraculous power, the people start preparing to seize Jesus and make him their king. But Jesus sees it coming. He knows what they're planning to do. And instead of going with them, he retreats by himself up the mountain to be alone, leaving the crowd and the disciples behind. It's a puzzling reaction, isn't it? Why does Jesus withdraw? Isn't becoming king what the Messiah was supposed to do? Uh, If we think back on where the story has been leading us in John's account so far, it doesn't quite seem to fit. Uh, When he turned the water into wine at Cana in chapter 2, wasn't that meant to symbolize the inauguration of the Messianic age and the blessing and celebration to come? When he spoke to Nicodemus in chapter 3, didn't he speak about the need to see and enter the kingdom of God that he was bringing in? Didn't he proclaim himself to be the Messiah, the anointed one, the promised king to the Samaritan woman at the well in chapter 4? And just before this, uh, he criticized the Jewish leaders in chapter 5 for refusing to believe the testimony of the signs he was doing and come to him. And yet now, when the people see the miraculous sign of the provision of food, recognize him as one promised in Scripture from of old, and want to enthrone him as their leader and king, he disappears. It's a puzzling reaction. But to help us understand what's going on and what Jesus is saying about himself, we need to go back and look a little bit more closely at what it is the people expect of Jesus. What are they looking for in a leader? And I think the place to look is back in verse 4. Because all of this, the crowd, the food, the retreat, all of this is taking place when the Passover season is near. Uh, And that, I think, is a vital piece of context. Verse 4, now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. Uh, Passover season is one of the most important cultural and religious festivals for Jewish people. It's a time to remember their deliverance from the oppression of Egyptian slavery and to celebrate the creation of the nation of Israel in the Exodus led by Moses. And in Jesus' day, for a people living under Roman occupation and rule, this festival was a focal point for the yearning of a nation to be free. I wonder if you've ever read the book Tomorrow When the War Began? Uh, It's a story about a group of teenagers who came back from a camping trip to discover that Australia has been invaded and occupied by a foreign army. Uh, So I want you to imagine for a moment that you're living uh, in that world, ruled and occupied by a foreign power. I think it's all too easy at the moment, as we see the continued conflict in Ukraine, to visualize something like that. Uh, But imagine Australia has been invaded uh, and we couldn't hold them off and you're living under foreign control. And then Anzac Day comes around. You'd feel it then, wouldn't you? As you remembered the bravery and sacrifice of the Anzacs, you'd long to see someone step up to fill their shoes to fight for the country. You'd want a leader to follow in their footsteps. For the Jewish people living under Roman rule, they wanted a leader. Whether under Pilate in Judea or Herod in Galilee, the people chafed under Roman oppression And they longed for a saviour, one of their own people, to come and lead them to victory. A saviour to follow in the footsteps of Moses. So Passover season is approaching, 
and the people are looking for a leader. They see the signs Jesus has been doing. They follow him to this remote mountainous area and then he miraculously provides them with bread. Uh, Now, to us, the parallel may not be immediately obvious, but to a first-century Jewish person preparing to celebrate Passover on the lookout for a prophet like Moses, this would be like a giant flashing neon sign. It would be an immediate reminder of the manna, the food that God provided while Moses led the people out of Egypt to the promised land. Uh, If you'd like, you can read about that in Exodus chapter 16. Uh, in, In other words, miraculously providing food for a large group of hungry people in a remote wilderness area is a very Moses-like thing to do. Uh, To do it at Passover time makes the reference all the more pointed. Uh, And if you read on a bit further in John 6, you'll see that the people catch on to this connection straight away. So down in verse 31, they say, What sign then are you going to do that we may see and believe you? And they asked, What are you going to perform? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, Just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So no wonder then that the people want to make Jesus king. They want a new Moses to provide a new exodus, not to leave Egypt and head to the promised land, but to kick out the Romans and reestablish their own self-rule. This is their agenda for Jesus. This is what they are looking for in a leader. And this is what Jesus wants no part of when he retreats to be by himself. Now, in a moment, we're going to look at what this story shows us about what kind of leader Jesus really is and what he came to do. But before we do that, I want to ask you, what's your agenda for Jesus? What expectations do you have of what kind of leader he should be? Because I think we can easily make the same mistake as the crowd and want Jesus to be the leader we expect him to be. Maybe you've been looking for someone to inspire you, someone to lift you up and encourage you, someone to show you an example of love and a positive vision for the future. Maybe you've been looking for a champion for the oppressed, someone to speak out against greed and political and economic injustice, someone to advocate for the needs of the poor and marginalized. Maybe you want a wise and authoritative Jesus, someone to make sense of the world and teach you the right way to live. Or maybe you want a personal, caring Jesus, someone who will see your pain, understand your struggle, and be your source of comfort in the hard times. I think Jesus does all of those things, and far more besides. But whatever he does for us, he does in his way, in his timing, through his means, by the power of his spirit, according to his Father's will and agenda, because of his own character and his good pleasure and purpose. Not because we want it from him, or because we expect it of him, or even because we feel we deserve it. He does it because of his love for us. John 3, verse 16, For God loved the world in this way, He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We don't get to make make Jesus a king after the pattern of our own longings. We must come to him on his terms, not ours. To believe in him means to trust that his way is best, that his purposes are best, even when we don't understand them.
Even when we're discouraged and distracted, when we're outraged and grieved by the injustices we see in the world, when we're unsure of what to think or where to turn, when we're hurting and feeling alone, in these times it's easy to feel that Jesus has let us down, that he has not lived up to what we need from him as a leader. It is good and right to come to Jesus with our concerns and frustrations and fears and trust his goodness and care for us. But it is a grave mistake to evaluate his leadership by the standards of our own expectations and desires. We must come to him on his terms, not ours. The crowd had an agenda for Jesus. They wanted a savior like Moses to rescue them from the Romans. But Jesus has his own agenda sent to do his own father's will. And his purpose was far better and greater than political independence. He came to reveal God to us and to bring us salvation. Uh, We've seen that the crowd wanted Jesus to lead their rebellion against the Romans. Now let's look at what kind of leader Jesus shows himself to be as he reveals God to us. Uh, And I want us to see uh, two things here. Uh, Number one, Jesus shows us that he is more than just a new Moses. He is God himself. And number two, he shows us that he has has come to give us more than just bread. He has come to give us himself. To help us see these things, we're going to head into our final section in the text, verses 16 to 21. I'm going to read that now. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. Darkness had already set in, but Jesus had not yet come to them. A high wind arose and the sea began to churn. After they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. He was coming near the boat and they were afraid. Here, once again, we see Jesus demonstrating his supernatural power, this time by walking on the lake. And we can't help but see another parallel to Moses, not with manna, but with the parting of the Red Sea. Uh, But like with the provision of food, there's a difference. There's a raising of the stakes. Moses gave the, the the people food from God. Jesus provides the food himself. Moses parted the Red Sea as God instructed him. Uh, What can Jesus do to one-up that? Well, he walks right across the surface of the water. The people were right to see a Moses parallel, but they've drawn the wrong conclusions. Where they were looking for a new Moses, Jesus shows himself to be more than that. He shows himself to be God. Uh, In the chapter before this story, chapter 5, the Jewish leaders were offended by Jesus because he claimed to be equal with the Father, and he declared his ability to give life and to judge, two things only God can do. Here, he shows his divine authority over creation in producing the food and walking on the water. However great a prophet Moses was, he wasn't God. Creation didn't obey him like this. It was God who brought his people through the sea and God who fed them in the wilderness. So we can read in Psalm 78. It says, He split the sea and brought them across. The water stood firm like a wall. He led them with a cloud by day and with a fiery light throughout the night. 
a little further down, he raised manna for them to eat. He gave them grain from heaven. People ate the bread of angels. He sent them an abundant supply of food. It's God who does these things, not Moses. So when the disciples see someone walking towards them across the waves, I think they're right to be afraid. Who is this that walks on the water in the midst of a storm? It is God himself, the creator, the giver of life, the judge of the world, here in the flesh. Jesus shows us that he's more than just a new Moses. He's God himself. And as he approaches the boat and the disciples cry out in fear, we see what his intention is. Verse 20, but he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him on board, and at once the boat was at the shore where they were heading. It's me, he's saying. The same Jesus you've walked with and spoken to, gone to the wedding at Cana with and traveled through Samaria with, you know me. You've seen who I am. Don't be afraid. But there's more than that going on. When he says, it is I, it's literally, I am. Uh, And this looks a bit like another Moses reference to the burning bush and God's revelation of himself. At the burning bush, God revealed himself to Moses saying, I am. Now the disciples see Jesus walking on the water and he says, I am. He speaks to them at once comforting words of familiarity, but at the same time he comes comes to them walking on the water, revealing himself to be God. And they see it's him, and they take him into the boat, and everything's okay. He comes to give them not what they expect, but what they need. Not just bread to eat or rescue from a choppy sea, but his own presence with them. God in the flesh. He comes to reveal God to them and bring salvation. And John's told us this earlier in the book. Back in chapter 1, verse 18, we read, No one has ever seen God the one and only Son who is himself God and is at the Father's side, he has revealed him. He's come to reveal God to us. And in chapter 3, verse 17, he said, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He's come to bring salvation to the world. Now we see him walking on the water uh, to his disciples, saying, I am. It's me. Don't be afraid. This is Jesus' agenda. This is the kind of leader he is. He comes to us on his terms, not ours. He comes to make God known to us. He comes as God himself, here with us, to save us. Not from the Egyptians like Moses, not from the Romans as the people want, not even primarily from the storms of life, literal or metaphorical, but to save us from the power of sin and death and to bring eternal life. As we read on further in John's account, we see that this salvation comes comes about not by plagues and destruction or a military victory, but by Jesus laying down his own life for us. Later on in this chapter, Jesus will talk about his flesh and blood being given up like bread and water so that the life of the world is sustained by his own death. But for now, in this story, what I want us to see is Jesus drawing near to us 
on his own terms, to reveal God to us, intent on saving us. And how much better that is than our expectations of him. The crowd comes to him with an agenda, and he retreats, wanting no part of it. And I think we often do the same. We come to him because we want something from him. We want him to be useful to us. We have expectations for him to live up to as our leader. Jesus has his own purpose, though, and it's for our good. It's far better for us that he comes near on his terms than that our expectations are met. I'll say that again. It's far better for us that he comes near on his terms than that our expectations are met. So look to him and entrust yourself to him. Come to him with open hands, ready to receive whatever he would give you. When life does not live up to your expectations, trust the generosity of the one who provided abundant food for the crowd as much as they needed. When life is painful and overwhelming, trust the goodness of the one who walked on water to save his disciples. But most of all, when you feel the guilt of your sin, when you feel the shame of your past, when you are weighed down with the burden of your own efforts and confronted with your own inadequacy, trust the one who draws near, who comes to us as God himself, who reveals God to us, who comes to bring salvation. The disciples heard his voice in the storm and were no longer afraid because they knew who it was who came to them. If you know Jesus, I want you to consider how you approach him what you expect of him as a leader, and how those expectations might shape your trust in him. Maybe you're feeling disappointed or frustrated. You haven't found the friends you wanted or gotten the job you expected or had the good health you always assumed you would. Home life is harder than you thought. Work is less satisfying than you imagined. The world around is darker and more unfair than you ever dreamed. Maybe you've been disappointed by Christians. Maybe you've been hurt or disappointed by someone in this room. It's easy to be disappointed in Jesus when we expect of him things he never promises to do. I want to encourage you to trust that what Jesus offers is better. He doesn't give us what we think we want, but what we truly need. He gives us himself. And if you're curious about Jesus but don't trust him yet, I invite you to keep listening. Get to know him as he is revealed in the Bible. See how he reveals God to us. See that he is trustworthy. So we've seen the people following Jesus because of the signs they've witnessed. We've seen Jesus provide abundant food for all, more than enough, from five loaves and two fishes. We've seen him withdraw from those who want to make him a king to fill their own ambitions and desires. And we've seen him draw near to his disciples, walking on the water to give them what they truly need, which is himself. This is the kind of leader Jesus shows himself to be. One who gives us what we need, not what we expect. One who draws near to reveal God to us and to bring salvation one who we can trust completely. Let's pray. 
Dear Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus who has drawn near to us. We thank you for sending him to reveal yourself to us and to bring us the salvation we need. Please help us to trust him fully as our leader. Help us to come to him on his terms uh, rather than basing our relationship on our own expectations of him. Lord God, uh, we long for the day when the Lord Jesus uh, rule as king over all creation is fully revealed and established. Uh, Please help us to endure to that day, we ask. We ask all these things in his name. Amen.